Hey, welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm John Abrams, and I have John Sfiokla with us today. Uh, John is a thought leader in, in, I would say, and I don't know how you view this, John, but I would say your thought leadership is generally around the intersection of business with new technology. Is that how you think of it? Yes, very much so. And business and to some extent individual and society, but yes. So the interesting part about that, and on our last episode, we talked about is business ready uh, for changes in supply chain as computing, as automation from a compute-based platform starts to intersect with the manual processes. And the, the, one of the interesting answers in your quick assessment of that is those with the best, uh, I would say, sources of information are going to win. So those who are embracing modern aspects of supply chain, and there's not a lot out there, there's still a lot of clipboards, those who are going to embrace the tech are, are going to win. Is that is that the way you generally see it? And if so, who do you think the the winners are going to be? Yes, uh, absolutely. He or she who has an information advantage will win. That's true within the company, that if you, you function within a company, let's say you're in charge of product information or something like that, or, or supply chain, if you have the best information, the best view, and the best ability to integrate with new sources of information, turn that into actionable insight, uh, you win. Um, and if you let the vendors do it around you or other folks or suppliers, you're going to lose out. Uh, that's just for sure. In terms of folks who are doing a good job at it, I think that uh, many of the digitally native companies are doing a pretty good job because they started with containerized information, if you will. Mm. I think of, you know, I think of APIs, you know, application program interfaces and standardization and cloud is basically built on container, containerized information, the way that containerized shipping to the physical supply chain. You know, there's no shipper today that is relevant that doesn't put stuff in containers, period, yeah. end of sentence. You know, we we had a really interesting lunch over the idea of, of container shipping versus uh, what happened in physical shipping before that. And there's a good analogy here because what, what we do at Venzi is provide really a better container to move your information from where it comes from, let's call it a manufacturer, to where it's going. Let's call that a, a retailer. The, the reality of that is the, those endpoints are, are more diverse, and, and I fully believe that uh, consumers are, are truly an important part of the digital supply chain, and, and they've been excluded from supply chain for a long time. But let's play with, because I, I love this discussion about the differences between uh, on the physical supply chain, and there's a corollary, as I suggest, in the digital. But in the physical supply chain, it wasn't that long ago that there were no such thing as containers for shipping. So two things. Would you describe a little bit of what you, what you envision with uh, containerized shipping and what that meant? And you know, what was that transition like? Yeah, well, it's unbelievable. And a lot of this comes from a book called Box, fantastic book. If you haven't, uh, you know, you've read it, but others might want to check it out. Uh, so just to give you an idea, before containers, 
uh, over 20%, I think it was 23% of all whiskey when it was transshipped, when it, when it went into a port or came out of a port, 23% was lost. <laughs> and that's when it counted to be a longshoreman, right? And the thing about container shipping is that not only to have lack of leakage and all that other stuff, but literally somebody can, you know, in the jungles of Thailand, you know, take product, stuff it in a box, and that doesn't get open until it, it lands in Los Angeles in some specialty retail. I mean, think about that for a minute. That's just amazing. And what happened is, you know, the, the economics changed, everything in between changed, rail beds changed, trucks changed, then the logistics, like now they're reselling supply and all that other stuff. And I agree with you, the, the big difference between physical container shipping and information container shipping, shipping of information containers, if you will, is that the information containers can touch many more places, especially the end client. Yes, because now you can do something. So, so the it's interesting that the the idea of putting goods into a, a container and the optimization that the logistics players and we're in Chicago and uh, I believe that you can draw a straight line between Chicago as a rail hub. The emergence of Sears uh, as a disruptor in in retail trade, and the fact that Sears came to Chicago because it was a rail hub. So you have a hundred plus year old direct line between innovation in retail and rail hubs, and now you look at the containerization of goods, and yes, it stopped theft or leakage. Uh, in the ports, wonderful, but it did something else. You can now be much more efficient in how you ship and and Coyote Logistics and Project 44, Chicago-based companies, they use that information around containers to optimize and essentially trade based on, hey, we have four inches of free space in this container. And that is a, it's essentially a, a commodity now. And you can now price that you can do different things, and that all has emerged because you can containerize shipping. And so you've got all of this logistics goodness, if you will, by, by the emergence of the container. The, the digital side of that is much more powerful. Can you, what, how much more powerful? Like twice as powerful? I think it's, uh, it's much more than twice as powerful because it, it multiplies what you can do in the physical world and then you get all kinds of other stuff too, right? And so the magnitude of this is massive and that's just efficiency, okay? That's yeah. efficiency. The other thing is that I did some research ages ago that shows that better knowledge of product, most product lines um, have a premium down to a, a cheap one, right? And it turns out that if you educate the customer for the attributes of the higher price product, they're more likely to buy the higher price product. Mm. How are you going to educate them? And by the way, most product lines, not all, but most product lines, their price points look like that and their margin looks like that. So you get them to buy up in the product line, you make more money, usually. To the extent that I can put the right education in front of a customer, they're much more likely to buy the better, pro the more expensive product for me. So I want to key on one thing about that. Brilliant stuff. Um, you, you actually use the word attribute if you can educate them on the attributes of the higher price product. And one of the things that, uh, that has 
dogged me for years and years in supply chain is attributes because every product has a whole bunch of attributes. And for ages now, we've been as a collective uh, in supply chain concerned about one attribute. And the attribute is the product identifier, the single number. And the only reason we're concerned about that is so that we can attach a barcode to it. And the barcode got attached, essentially, on a pack of Wrigley gum. And so if you had a unique identifier for that pack of Wrigley gum, you let's call that one. That it, It's the number one. That's Wrigley gum. And you could associate that one with the digital image of a barcode on the pack of gum. So one equals this barcode. And now you can check that out at a register. And since 1972, the sole attribute that retailers, manufacturers, brands are concerned about is the attribute that identifies the product. And that is it. And what you suggest, if you could just simply educate consumers based on the attribute value, so describe the product in a slightly better way, you can move up that that revenue model you can increase the the value that is created on the transaction with additional attributes and it is it is a fundamental flaw in how we are communicating with consumers because we only express for all intents and purposes one attribute the identifier of the product so that we can allocate a barcode to it sure yes and i think that's a fundamental thing to have but it's time to accrete new stuff yes <laughs> Yes, exactly. And look, you go into a, um, when I was a kid, you know, I, I mowed a bunch of lawns. I saved my money. I bought a Stingray bike. Okay. You look at that Stingray bike today. I mean, just think of the functionality of that bike compared to the functionality. And I spent 125 bucks. I remember it was a lot of money. <laughs> that, yeah. And, yeah. And so, yeah, I got the little spring in front and everything. Yeah. And so um, the, I go out and spend 125 bucks today. The amount of content in a bike that I get for 125 bucks is unbelievable. I get 15 gears. I get, you know, I get a much better seat. I mean, just the amount of content that's jammed into that bike, whether by a Stingray bike or whatever, is oodles. It may be at least one order, if not two orders an exit. So 10 to 100 times as much stuff stuffed in that bike. I think it's somewhere between one and two orders of magnitude more. We haven't done that in most places for the information value chain. Oh. Yes. I, I believe that things in general should get in balance. And so the value often is created when people bring out of balance things in balance, into balance. Okay. I think. And so what's happening now is that the thing going through the supply chain and the consumptions on the edges and some of the support structures are, have unbelievable information value chains, but the product information itself I put it another way, it's the low-hanging fruit. It's the place where yeah. a little bit of a little bit of increase tied into these other capabilities can create huge value. You can enhance product information and so forth along attributes that matter to you within your control. Then you say, okay, well, there's all this complexity and stuff, but I really want to deal with it all. And the answer is no. And the answer is you might not have to. That mm. you can use, you know, these things to enhance the ability to deal with complexity and shrink it down to look for central tendencies so you don't have to look at every instance, right? So a lot of the complexity that in the physical world is important to you, uh, I mean, that you have to deal with, actually just gets automated away. Yeah. And 
Um, so there's so there's that stuff. So things that used to be an uncontrollable torrent of information can become a manageable pipe of information, right? And so where I think we're headed is first the enhancement and then the use of machines to deal with some of that complexity. Because look, some of the complexity you'll just say, okay, let's simplify. But you can only, you can't simplify your way to greatness, right? You get because the, the game in more and more businesses is reaching a new cost complexity point. That is ideal with mass customization for you without blowing up my economics. Well, you know, just like I can't lift that pallet with a forklift, I can't do that information, the information part of that without intelligence or at least computation, if not artificial intelligence, right, to, to deal with that complexity. And you look at the companies that do this. I mean, when I'm on Facebook or I'm at Google or whatever, that's a machine serving me, mm-hmm. my interface, Right? That's based on my behaviors and cognition and social cognition and my social network and the whole routine. I mean, that kind of uh, distillation of my interest in, into information and options, you know, that's going to spread throughout the economy. It's the way electric motors have spread everywhere from you know, my razor to my automobile. I I I I want to call out uh, and and believe it or not we're, we've we've chewed up uh, the allocation of time for our episode. I want to call out a couple of things. Um, first, that things out of balance will come into balance, and that there is a massive imbalance in the focus of of the retail supply chain and the participants in it in a single attribute. And, uh, and that imbalance between the number of attributes that I love the idea of a bicycle bought years ago, uh, the number of attributes that were expressed back then. I, I want to call the contrast out between the bike I just bought uh, during COVID season, uh, which is a rad power bike that has more expressible attributes because it is an electric bike. It, it has gears. Uh, the number of attributes associated just with the power side of that electric bike are almost unimaginable. And I can dig into all of those attributes really only through one vehicle because all of those attributes are not easily expressed across the supply chain. So I have to go to the manufacturer to get that information as opposed to what you and I are talking about in this episode in our last episode, which is the manufacturer needs to be able to express that information, all of those attributes, more easily. And yes, I may not want all of the attributes related to the shipping container that that bike went into, but I may want to know the power output and the battery pack size and the replaceable parts for that battery. Those are attributes that are interesting to me as a consumer, but are but the supply chain physical logistics side are not interesting to me. So uh, I want to call out those things. The things are uh, out of balance today in the digital supply chain, meaning there is largely a focus on the barcode, and it needs to become much more uh, elaborate in terms of what is expressed uh, uh, because there is value that can be sold uh, if we can express additional attributes. And, and so this imbalance will be corrected. And one of the cool things about being a company that is in the middle of providing or expressing additional attributes, such as we are at Benzie, is that these things are going to 
become more of a normal part of how trade happens. And I think you and I in these last two episodes have just scratched the surface of the amount of value that is created or unlocked as we uh, do a better job of expressing and conveying the digital side of, uh, of products. So, John, it's been um, really, again, enlightening to spend time with you. Welcome to Venzi. Uh, it's, it's great to have you on board. And uh, also, I'm glad that you've uh, relocated from Boston to Chicago. It's great to have you in the area, and I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. Thanks, John. It's been great to be here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. To stay up to date with our latest podcast releases, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can also learn more about the podcast at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.